Hi, I'm Gordon Lamphere with The Real Finds Podcast, the podcast series where we speak with key entrepreneurs, scientists, and activists who are shaping the real estate industry and as a result, our world. On today's podcast, we'll be interviewing Michael Riddell and Ian Hickey from Homes on Chain. Homes on Chain is a blockchain platform that seeks to provide a safe and secure platform to simplify property transfers and management processes. On the podcast, we'll discuss blockchain fundamentals, tokenization, and the future of the real estate industry. It's well worth a listen. Hey, everyone. I'm here today with Michael and Ian, and they're going to be talking about blockchain, real estate, and kind of give us an interesting perspective on some of the evolutions that are happening more on the digital side of the real estate world. Michael and Ian, thanks for hopping on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Gordon. So first, could you guys introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, you and your corporation? Sure. Uh, we're with Enlight. Um, I myself actually started the business when I was in college going to DePaul University. That's where I met Ian. And uh, we and I started the business uh, really doing smart home systems, uh, being in the field, getting on a ladder, running crews. I grew the business since then to get into a lot of commercial work. We've worked on projects with big brands like Malia Brands to deliver a smart hotel in Miami. We've worked with Light Fitness in order to help them deliver their internet and fitness platform. So I've been an entrepreneur all my life. Uh, and uh, we've recently grown into a startup called Homes on Chain in which uh, we are uh, exploring uh, deploying uh, homes basically on the blockchain or uh, the ability to put uh, the digital assets of a home on the blockchain to make that process of buying, selling, managing real estate a lot easier. Hey, Gordon, thanks for having us. It's a, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be on your show. Um, I went the safer route. I went the corporate route right after college when Mike went out and, and cut his teeth in the entrepreneurial space. So after, you know, many years in the marketing and publishing space, Leo Burnett, Condé Nast of the world, reconnected with Mike because I thought what he was doing, pushing the envelope of home automation and integration um, into emerging technologies, I thought it was an opportunity to, to help him scale and, and grow the business. Uh, and, and the opportunity that we landed on was the uh, concept and value proposition for homes on chain, largely based on all of the, the experiences and uh, issues that came up with the parent company and light over those 20 years. So it's really leveraging those findings um, to, to drive new and emerging uh, technologies in the market. So going back to homes on chain, uh, homes on chain gives us an idea just from the name that it's residential. So you guys do both commercial and residential in terms of uh, the way in which your blockchain interacts with real estate? So Homes on Chain is primarily residential. It is a residential product. Uh, in light uh, does not do blockchain technology. It, it delivers digital twin technologies that is separate and part and parcel from uh, blockchain technology. So essentially the value proposition for Homes on Chain is that we feel that it being a token on the Ethereum blockchain will become the standard for buyers, sellers, people who transfer and manage uh, residential real estate 
when they go to sit at that table. When we go into a merchant store today, we don't get questioned about by the merchant about the validity of our Visa or MasterCard. They trust it. That's what we want Homes on Chain to become for residential real estate. Having everything from a title, a deed, surveys, marketing assets, uh, IoT related devices, maintenance records, all in one single space um, that can be accessed in a uh, trustless way on an immutable blockchain that is fully transparent. We feel there's a lot of value behind that. So look, I've bought and sold cryptocurrency and I have a general idea of how the blockchain works and how tokenization works, but could you give a broad perspective somebody who might be tuning in who has no idea how cryptocurrency works how the blockchain works and kind of how it helps facilitate real estate processes sure so think of uh you know the blockchain as an alternative to you know your, your traditional uh github databases right um the blockchain is a place where you can uh store information in a transparent way. It's not a black box system controlled by a centralized entity. It is open and out there, much like uh, many of the you know, residential um, documents and, and information regarding homes is you know, public access. Um, there is obviously private information that, that can be gated and, and for account holders' eyes uh, only. Um, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, it's it's a way to transfer data in a more seamless way. Uh, you know, if if you have sold blockchain, you know, excuse me, if you have sold crypto on the blockchain, you know that you don't need to go to a banker's office and sign any documentation. Uh, you can literally transact with anybody, anywhere, anytime, um, and that's what that's what we want to do. We truly believe that real estate will eventually be on the blockchain. And we want to prepare consumers to be able to sit at that table uh, with the, the trust and safety that's going to be developed through uh, the Homes on Chain token. I think the only thing I would add is that on the Ethereum network, the idea of a smart contract is really what we're developing. And that's, I think, a really powerful thing when you look at it in transactions, meaning that if both parties agree to a transaction, it'll get executed regardless of any other third party per se. And then that, that transaction's on the blockchain forever, it's transparent, it's immutable, and you're allowed to really speed up the process of transactions. And that's really where Homes on Chain came from. Uh, you know, I was down in the city uh, doing a, doing a transaction. And I spent the whole day at, at a title company, you know, to have someone run back and forth, give me paperwork, make sure I had XYZ plat survey, the contract, the operating docs, everything that comes with it. And after that, I was driving back to the suburbs from downtown and got on a call with our team and said, how can we solve this, this really slow, archaic process? And Homes on Chain really birthed out of that. And we want to be able to work with title companies, have a product 
that they can use to help them speed the process up, help the lawyers, you know, go through the checklist, help the broker go through all those minutiae details that come down to actually transacting and having it in one place that everyone can use, everyone can upload to, and, you know, re really save everyone time and money, you know, because that's, that's where we find value. And we also think that the market's ready for disruption. You know, the, that the whole process is, is really archaic. And there's a lot of governments now that are, you know, listening to the blockchain, want to have projects up. One in particular that we talked about was, is uh, the California DMV is going to begin to put all of their uh, DMV information on the blockchain, which is great, you know, because everyone associates the DMV with a really slow, archaic process. So here in Illinois, they passed a law, we believe it was around 2017, uh, where you're able to do uh, real estate transactions on the blockchain and that it's, it's legally acceptable to do that. And there's a handful of other states that do it as well, Florida in particular. And that's what we're really developing when it comes to the blockchain uh, and homes on chain. So I understand the blockchain is very advantageous in terms of speed and in terms of speeding up what can sometimes seem a somewhat Byzantine transaction. Um, but there's definitely some hesitation from not just traditional forces that stand to benefit, but people in the commercial real estate and legal world that see that Byzantine tr uh, transaction as a way to protect an asset. Um, what kind of safeguards are in place with blockchain to prevent an asset from being stolen uh, in the transaction? That's a great question, Gordon. And that's really our core or our main focus just because we come from the real estate business, right? Is, is that we need to first verify that it's your asset, that you are the owner of that real estate asset. Then we'll run a bunch of what they call public API calls, which is a fancy way to say that uh, our platform looks on the internet, goes to public deed records. We'll run a simple title search through a real title company, through a lawyer, and we will verify that you own the asset and we'll do that in a multi-layer authentication mode. Meaning, sure, we can send you an SMS text message, we can send you an email. We wanna have you physically at the property to geolocate you to make sure that you're there and that you own it. And then we'll go through things like KYC to just further uh, go through a security audit process to make sure that you own the asset that you're uploading all the relevant information to that asset. And then during the actual transaction, um, you know, that, that, that both parties are verified in order to make that happen. Now, when it comes to, let's say, stealing a property or an asset, there are certain mechanisms that we've developed for our platform that will allow us to safeguard you. Now, in the world of the blockchain, if it's not your keys and you're not safeguarding your actual crypto assets, you know, that's that's some gray area that all that 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 would be put on the user essentially. So, you know, there's a lot of bad press about FTX and how those uh, people's funds were essentially stolen. Well, those were on an unsecure exchange where they just assumed or they trusted that that exchange 
had one-to-one assets and they didn't. And that's really a part of the educational process about the blockchain where, you know, we're going to educate our consumers, our clients to make sure that they have the right uh, wallet set up, that their protocols are in place where they can protect those assets. Ian, would you like to interject? Um, yeah, you know, I, I would just like to add that um, uh, safety and security obviously has to be the forefront topic when you're thinking about deploying a technology like this. And I think it sort of needs to be thought of in two ways. One, the things that we can control and two, the things that we can't control. This is an emerging market. It's emerging technology. It's very early. There will be industry standards and protocols that develop that are guided by policy decision makers and political offices, right? So all that we can do is lead from a best practices perspective and try to imagine what those are and control the things like Mike talked about that we can control as a uh, a company behind a product, um, but there are, you know, those risks of, you know, being a part of an, an early market that, that is emerging. And there are certainly some risks out there, basically around the safety and security of your own wallet if you hold your own keys. And if you don't hold your own keys and you keep your crypto and assets on a centralized exchange, then you're banking on the safety and security of that un FDIC, uh, you know, centralized exchange. So we focus on the things that we can control, and that's all of the validity, excuse me, validity um, and checks and balances around the data that we collect to provide our product to the consumers. So moving to kind of a, a, a newer topic, one of the biggest advantages that uh, uh, folks in finance, individuals who are in the real estate world that are looking to get in folks that look in terms of trying to create a more diverse and equitable uh, real estate world, look at tokenization of real estate as kind of a way to get broader access into mm -hmm. um, the real estate world of investment for people who might not have $100,000 to put on a down payment. Uh, can you guys talk a little bit about that? And, and does, does your business and, and your startup relate to the whole uh, tokenization process of the, uh, uh, the crypto uh, real estate game? So, so th my, the initial answer is no, we are not doing fractional tokenization of real estate, whether it's a house, a single family home, a 140 unit condo complex or apartment building. Somebody else will offer that. However, we can provide the underlying token for that, meaning that all of those assets are in one place, that someone can go look at the plat survey, the rent rolls, the maintenance records, even real-time data of the building, what it's using on an energy basis. So we would look to work with those firms in order to help that the base structure of that solid so that they can essentially submit or work another smart contract on top of ours. That's the beauty of the Ethereum network that most people I don't think understand is that our particular token, the 1155 or that smart contract allows you to manipulate the underlying 
smart contracts so you can do those kinds of transactions? So if we can stipulate, let's, let's just live in fantasy land here for a second. And living in fantasy land, all right. <laughs> but let's stipulate that in the future, to, to, uh, real estate will be on the blockchain, right? Let's just agree to that for a minute. It will. When that happens, everybody will come to that table, right? With a, a different folder, we believe a different token. So it's going to be sort of, what are the checks and balances? What's the value proposition? What are the values behind the brand that, you know, is that Visa, MasterCard or Discover in your wallet? That's really how we're thinking about this. You know, we see a world in which a large percentage of real estate can be transacted, especially internationally yeah. uh, through, through the blockchain. And, you know, everybody's gonna come to the table with, you know, do you have a black card or, you know, do you just have a, a regular old credit card? And so we want to be the most trusted, uh, the friendliest, the easiest to use protocol when people approach that table in the future. And, and we believe that our 20 years in the real estate experience of developing real estate, working with real estate developers, brokers, lawyers, that that, you know, leads us to really understand the market, the customer, how the process works. We're not just, you know, some MIT guys that have an idea and want to go do it. We've been in the field. We have worked on those projects, whether they're, you know, large projects in the West Loop to a hotel down in Miami. We understand ownership, how there's various owners, how the stack works out when it comes to construction, how you deliver a building, whether it comes from the design aspect of it to the engineering. So we've taken all of that experience and we're putting it into this, this new project, Homes on Chain. And we really think that that's our real, real life experience that'll allow us to deliver a, a much better product than some of the other, let's say, people that are skirting around the the idea of putting real estate on the blockchain. So, Michael, uh, we can get back to homes on chain, but I was wondering if you could talk sure. briefly about your experience in real estate development um, and real estate investment, because. I know from your track record, from just a cursory knowledge of your activities in the Chicagoland market, that you've been pretty busy over your career in, in yeah. real estate. And could you tell a little bit about some of the transactions and uh, developments that you were involved with? Sure, Gordon, thank you. So uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, I actually started my business when I was in college at DePaul University. Uh, I was lucky to work with uh, a firm called Belgravia Group, which was, uh, Jeff Ruttenberg's business, uh, his father's Buzz Ruttenberg, and uh, they uh, are a uh, really well-respected real estate development firm. Um, I was studying a minor in computer science, and I had the idea to put networking in houses in Lincoln Park. And I began to ask around to some of our college friends if they were in the business. One of them, actually a friend of ours, Mike Goldboy, was, was working for Belgravia Group. And I worked on uh, 2645 North Racine. That was my first project. Um, I got a set of floor plans from them and I worked up a budget and I was accepted into that, into that group. It was, it was actually really funny. I, uh, I left the meeting with the set of floor plans and they said, give me a bid, Michael. And I said, 
sure, okay. And I walked out of there and, and I had to call my dad and I said, dad, what's a bid? He's like, that's, he's like, that's a construction term for a budget. Um, and I, you know, calculating that wire length, how much, you know, time I would put into the job, what I'd pay myself, material overhead, insurance, all those small things that a small entrepreneur needs. And I began to work on a bunch of uh, residential projects with Belgravia Group. Uh, as they grew over time, I ended up working on their commercial projects, really scaling the business uh, on a more, you know, larger scale with running crews, working with architects, pre-planning, all the way to punch list and delivery of a home. And then we'd work with the homeowner or even the commercial owner on their technology upgrades for the building. So whether that's TV systems, video conferencing, audio, video security. So really the, the entire developmental uh, process of building a building out of the ground to a finished space, and then ultimately maintaining those systems over time. Uh, in that process, I was exposed to some great real estate opportunities that I was able to buy into when I was younger uh, from just an, an investment standpoint. You, you know, I, I was working for these real estate developers, watching them become successful, and they opened the door to some projects in the West Loop that I was able to essentially invest in as a capital partner, help develop that property. Uh, one in particular is 106 North Aberdeen. It was right next to Harpo Studios at the corner of Aberdeen and Washington. It was a beautiful heavy timber loft building that we uh, gutted. It was about 100,000 square feet. We uh, gutted it. It was DX12 zone. So we did first and second floor were uh, a commercial office that I essentially built out for myself and my team. Uh, and then the rest were condos that we worked on. And then from there, we were actually kind of uh, uh, really uh, experiencing the growth of the West Loop, in particular, some project called CA23. Now they're on CA6, which is six different reiterations of that project. Um, and they've done really well. And, you know, I, I, I just really got into the financing, the design process, working with the architect, working with a general contractor, and really, you know, fine tuning that and then essentially leasing those properties up. And then I sold those to my actual tenants. And, you know, as you know, you know, as you sell, you, you know, roll into other projects. So we did uh, a couple others in the West Loop. And then I've done some uh, single family home uh, development on the North Shore of Chicago, in which we're, you know, building uh, single family homes and leasing them. Uh, and then we end up eventually selling them. So I've had uh, a lot of experience in the overall process of how to buy, sell real estate, and then all the minutiae in between with developing it, working with the general contractor, all the subs, you know, all of those little things that, that you have to understand have to come together in order to have a finished product. And that's really uh, a unique skill set that I've developed and that lend towards all the technology that we're developing because I'm in the field, I know all the pitfalls, and we really want to, you know, uh, curtail those where those things don't come up where it can be a more seamless process. You know, you know, I know that we're talking about the blockchain and I see that eventually, I think a lot of construction is gonna get put on the blockchain, whether it's inventory tracking, where the products go. And then again, all those lend themselves to, you need a, a base smart contract for that piece of real estate. And that's what Homes On Chain is. 
Uh, I know that we, you know, that, that it's a residential product, but it is on our roadmap to make it more commercial friendly, more in a, uh, let's call it a concierge uh, blockchain development. So there's a couple uh, property owners we're talking to now in which we think that we'd be able to do that in, in, in the commercial space. And that lends itself towards leasing, selling, and really, you know, to be able to integrate those, those future blockchain projects at a later date. And that's the platform that we're building. Uh, we want to make it somewhat future proof, like all the projects I've worked on. So look, uh, moving, moving towards the future, um, and talking about kind of longer term investment strategies and less of your typical, just absolute, uh, down and dirty deal making and transactions. Sure. One of the things that's come up when I've been researching you guys is, uh, building energy use, understanding uh, more of the ins and outs of the day-to-day of management. Could you guys dive into how your product kind of works in that and kind of how you see the blockchain going in terms of management information? Because I, for a lot of folks that are on the development side, I think it's pretty easy to get why blockchain might work in a transactional viewpoint, but the information technology side is, I think, more in-depth and more fascinating for at least your property management company? That's a great question, Gordon. Uh, do you want to take this, Ian? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we think of buildings of having, you know, a health span and a lifespan. We almost look at them as humans, right? And as a property owner or manager, you want your building to be as efficient as possible. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, we see, and from our homes to the places that we work, the devices that are plugged in can continually and more often than not are beaming signals, right? You know, whether that's energy usage signal, whether that's a, uh, a time and field and operational sort of maintenance signal that's being uh, put out um, or that, you know, something is, is broken, uh, you know? So we just feel that there are so many things that can be, uh, connected and better prepare building engineers and, and owners to, to do their job on a daily basis. You know, um, instead of having eyes at every single property because you physically need them there looking at things, you know, think of a scenario where in the future you have one engineer that covers a regional area of four to five buildings because they're all aggregated into one dashboard where he can see everything from water pressure to lighting to security access to, you know, any number of the hundred things that Mike could rattle off as being in the field for, for over 20 years. Um, so it's really pointing arrows towards all of those uh, areas of minutia in a building and putting eyes on them in unique ways, whether it's using a camera um, or some sort of other uh, you know, widget uh, that can, you know, be aggregated, normalized, analyzed, and then eventually displayed for that end user. I would also add the, the concept that, you know, us as a team, we've been talking about and that we're exploring with some potential clients is the idea of a digital twin. Are you familiar with that, Gordon? I, I am, but I, I'm not sure all of our users um, yeah. and would understand that. So 
Can you go a little bit more in depth? Sure. So a a digital twin is a is the real life representation of a asset, whether that's a piece of real estate or or a car or a coffee maker, but it's a but it's in the digital format or the digital realm where you're able to manipulate that digital asset to your advantage, essentially. So in developing what we want to develop with some of our potential clients is a digital twin that is scan, meaning that you go and you scan the actual asset with LIDAR, radar, and photos, and that's uploaded into a BIM or a architectural format. And then you actually link all of the the digital signals Ian was talking about in that. So uh, we'll go through some use cases, which I think is better to talk about because you know people can understand it much more than just oh a digital twin. So let's say you have yeah. So in in the case of our project with Life Fitness, uh, we built a innovation lab for them in which we had about a eight thousand square foot. Uh, gym it was a lab essentially that they had all their equipment there it was scanned we were able to track who was in the building where where they were at meaning that you walked up to an individual treadmill and then when you got on the treadmill the treadmill essentially knew who you were right because you had a phone that was on a wi-fi network that we triangulated you within the space down to that actual asset sure so once you're able to do those things and and have a real-time digital twin you give all these tools to a the user of, of the space in this case the gym user right so we're able to track all your data on the treadmill how you lifted what you lifted and then you can get into things like back of the house well why is like why are these machines being used more than the ones across the way and we would use that to make analytical decisions in switching out machines to create longer lifespan, right? So if these three treadmills over here are being used more frequently than the three on the other side of the space, in three months, we're gonna swap those out so that the belts and the gears don't, don't, don't fail. Then you get into things like back of the house again, where if you're having a bad workout, maybe you didn't sleep well, but your bed tell, you know, told you that. So maybe we're going to suggest when you walk in the door that you drink a green smoothie and you accept that. And that ties into the POS system at the gym where they know you like a green smoothie with an extra shot of energy boost, maybe an extra shot of banana. Cause I like bananas because those green smoothies can be kind of nasty. Uh, so, so when you begin to digitize real estate and any space, you can really uh, have a multiple or a plethora of tools in which you can normalize data and make great decisions off of it and serve up suggestions for people. Um, and, you know, we, everyone knows AI is coming. Sure, chat GTP's there. We think some of those things will be useful in making suggestions to someone, whether it's how they sleep, how they work out, uh, Obviously, that's the, the case in the gym space, in the hotel space. You know, it's it was geared more towards guest-centric information. But on the back of the house, again, if one of the air conditioners is, you know, running hot, the engineer can pull up that actual digital twin on his phone, be able to find out what the asset is, be able to order the part immediately because the, the HVAC tells you what part's failing, Versus having to go up to the fifth floor, 
you got a key in through three different doors, you got three different keys, you really automate that, that process of just doing things in a physical space. And that's really what we think, you know, digital twins, the blockchain is going to allow you to do because you have all of these, these, these great data sets that we've put on a platform, we've normalized the data sets, and then, you know, the back of the house, the IT manager can begin to make decisions off that. Real quickly, based on Mike's use case of Life Fitness, for those that may not know, Life Fitness is the world's largest manufacturer of home and gym workout equipment. They supply, you know, roughly 70, 60, 70% of the, the gyms out there. So they have great relationship with gyms, but they don't own the gyms, correct? And gyms were being used less and gyms were being, uh, you know, tightening their budgets and not buying as much Life Fitness product. So Life Fitness was at a stage of being a great manufacturer of workout equipment, but hadn't really digitally transformed yet, right? And companies like Mirror and Peloton were entering the market and slowly chipping away share by delivering alternative experiences based on uh, digital networks, essentially. So they wanted to be able to integrate with other partners to figure out how their hardware could work, how um, technology, digital twin technology, signaling technology could be built into first generation hardware, um, how the membership experience could be um, elevated. So this was just light fitness's problem. We see every company out there, Gordon, is going to be facing this point of digital transformation you know, at one point, digital transformation just meant, did you have a website, right? Uh, we feel it's going to be taking on a whole new meaning where, uh, you know, the lifespan, health span, and, and everything regarding the places that we dwell in on a daily basis, from our homes to the places where we work, are, are going to be optimized in, in ways that are really going to benefit human activity. I would add this in closing, uh, and this is again, comes from our real life experience is that we want to make it agnostic, meaning that we can work with any partner, anyone can look at our software development kit and API and vice versa, meaning that for us to do these integrations, we had to vet a lot of projects, a lot of vendors, make sure that their house was in order so that we can actually deploy these, these really exciting technologies. And that's really what the blockchain can help you do uh, when it comes to creating an agnostic platform that anyone can be able to interact with. Because when you have proprietary closed off systems, you know, you, you, you essentially gate people, right? And, and that's not what, you know, we think the future is. We think that it's open protocol, open software that people will be able to innovate on top of. Safely and securely. Yeah. So, Going, going to looking towards the future, uh, I'd like to start up our final four questions. These are questions we ask everybody, and I think they give a good perspective and, and a little bit of additional information on not just you, but kind of things that we can look forward to in the podcast. So um, the first question we ask everybody, and this is for both you, Michael, and for Ian, is where do you see the real estate business going? Um, this can be blockchain centric or this could just be purely real estate. But for each of you, where do you see the, the real estate world going? Sure, that's a great question, Gordon. Um, 
I really believe that it'll transform quickly because it is such an archaic business. Not not in a bad sense, but that that there's a lot of technologies that exist that are fragmented that are not put together in a platform and I really see it going towards being a more tech-centric business, uh, whether that's just on the management end of things, on the cash flow and finance end of things, during the build process. And the idea of having digital twins, I think is a real important thing that's gonna happen. And, and I think that'll be backed up by a blockchain technology because it is secure, because it is immutable and that you'll be able to have all this information out there that's shareable, that, that people can view, and that it'll help make buildings more efficient, uh, more centric towards the user, where you'll be able to see ebbs and flows of people when they come, how they interact with the building itself, um, how the, the outside environment impacts the building, and that they'll become a lot more energy efficient, that they'll become better spaces to be in, you, you, know, uh, you know, as, as someone that's developed some real estate, worked with architects and designers and understood the process is, is that you gotta really look at it like Ian said, that, that it's a living, breathing thing. And that the more you think about that and when you implement technologies that make it a better environment, that you'll have better products out there. They'll be more efficient. They'll be better to lease up. They'll be more valuable essentially. I'll uh, I'll give the condensed version. I I, I see commercial, the commercial Sorry. industry leading headfirst into technology because the end users uh, are going to want it. They're going yeah. to want that access, and it's going to be driven within the framework of policy, standards, procedures. Uh, I've worked on FDA business before. Uh, we we want those. Yeah. That, that's when people sitting on the sidelines will say, okay, now I'm going to get in. And you know what? We're going to get in with the people who are acting that way from day one that were leading as if there were those standards, policies, and protocols already in place. Look, I, I don't think anyone's going to argue on this podcast or any of our listeners is going to argue that the real estate business has some antiquated and Byzantine aspects. Um, that's one of the whole reasons why this podcast exists is to bring to light some areas that we need improvement. Uh, but the next question kind of goes a little further away from the real estate business as a whole, but just to general uh, self-improvement. So um, one of the questions we always ask everyone is to look back in time and to look at themselves. And for both Michael and Ian, going back in time and looking at yourself, what would be something that you would tell your young self, you know, your high school senior self, your, your college senior self? What, what would you say uh, if you could just give, you know, one little tidbit of life advice? To not be fearful. To, <laughs> That's a good to, one. Yeah. To, you know, when, this is a great quote, but when you're scared, when it feels like you're scared, that's the moment you step in. Um, and that leads to failing. You know, you know, I have failed on so many projects, not actually failed, but, you know, chasing a project, you end up losing it, is that that's really where you gain life experience so you can become a better business operator. That's a good answer, Mike. Right. Uh, 
I, I would say, you know, and it's something I still struggle with today is to keep perspective. We get so busy in our day to days. Um, we have more going on than ever. Uh, and it, it's, it's, it's always nice to be able to uh, step back and, and just sort of take a minute to think about the things that are going in on in your life instead of just being so busy doing them. And, and I think that that really leads to, that self-reflection leads to uh, improved in behavior actions down, down the road. Great answer, Ian. Look, um, both, both great answers. Um, one of the things that we're always looking for is to learn on this podcast. And look, I'm a huge reader. That's just a, a little tidbit of some of the books that, little tiny little bit of some of the books that um, uh, I read on a daily basis. Uh, and I'm and I'm also curious what others are reading or what other books um, folks have enjoyed who are in the industry or around the industry. So I was curious if both Ian and Michael, you could give me a book that's maybe changed your perspective on business or the real estate world that at the very least I should p pick up or any of the folks who subscribe to the podcast should pick up. Ian, you go first. I have a really different answer. Sure, sure. So I, I'm going to go with the book that I'm currently reading, Gordon, and it's a book that I'm reading with my son at night before bed. Okay, it's, that sounds it's, good. All right. It's about, uh, Captain Gene Flucky of the, the U.S. Navy. Okay. He's the first CEO to put a rocket launcher on the deck of a Navy, Navy submarine <laughs> and sort of uh, came out of Annapolis leading in the school of thought that submarines shouldn't always be silent and only attack when they know that they can, that they should be, you know, on top of the water more often than not, because when you're underwater, your field of view with the periscope is very shallow. When you're on top of the water with the periscope up, you can see for miles and miles and miles. So, you know, that's continuing to sort of give me uh, the inspiration uh, to lead with an alternative set of eyes uh, whenever possible and to look at problems and situations in unique ways for solutions. Very, very, very interesting book. I will check that out, Ian. Uh, my, let's say, quintessential one a long time ago was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which, you know, most, I think people- it's classic, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna get on Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> now my, 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 uh, my in light or my enlightened answer is Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Okay, all right, all right. Which, which is a book that has really shaped how I begin to look at business and myself, right? Is the yin to the yang. Um, and that's really been something that I've always kind of leaned towards uh, when it comes to how I wanna uh, interact with people, how I wanna interact with my business, that you really have to keep things balanced, but ultimately provide quality. That's what the book is about. What is quality and how you provide quality, whether that's in a relationship with someone or in the business environment. And you do that by being rational and solving problems from a rational standpoint. And that book I've read numerous times. I always get something different out of it. Um, but that would be my, uh, my overall answer to that is Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which I see you have a Jordan um, 
jersey in the background. Yeah. Bill Jackson is uh, is quite the the Zen master. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> any Chicagoan uh, who was in, alive in the '90s probably does yeah. that. Well, I actually heard that he made like anyone that joined the team read that book. Is that yeah. true, or is that just a rumor? I I have heard that. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know if that's true, and we're going to have to have somebody fact check us on that. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I have heard that. And look, I think Zen and having a, a Zen or a Stoic or a, at least a very moderated, uh, somewhat agnostic view of how you interact with the real estate world or the business world is essential. Anybody who's making emotional decisions in real estate or in business tends to get burned somewhere down the line. And it's definitely true for sports as well. So look, I'm not gonna throw shade anywhere um, towards a book that is about Zen or stoicism or, or keeping a calm mind. And going going down that road at, and towards keeping a calm mind, the ultimate point of this podcast is to find folks like yourself who are changing the industry taking a calm, collected approach and trying to improve the real estate world that has a lot to be improved, right? That's the whole reason why we're here today. Um, regarding that, Michael, Ian, is there anybody that we should be bringing on the podcast that kind of has that calm, collected view that might have an in-depth view of the real estate world that folks don't know about yet? I'm going to defer to Michael because he's the he, he's the the real estate guy. Sure. So um, I would I would say Peter Maris of Maris Construction. Okay. Um, Pete and I've worked on uh, numerous projects together. We developed some real estate together. Um, and being in the construction process, to me, that's just controlled chaos, right? Oh, like you yeah. have. No, anybody who's done development knows that. Yeah. Yeah. You got 20 different people working on a project. You all got to coordinate together. And he really understands that. And that allows him to be someone that can deliver great projects for uh, investors, uh, owners. And Pete's really knowledgeable. He's done development, uh, he's done construction, and he owns, you know, a couple other businesses that are in that environment. And he's a, He's a wealth of knowledge, you know, he knows finance, he understands all of that. He knows the construction process. And then he also understands how to deliver a $5 million home to a really particular client, right? Hey, all that's those hard. Pieces, that's yeah, hard. I'm not going to pay that. Yeah. All those little pieces of blue tape around the house. Like I've walked those projects with him and that's a real skill set that's really unique. And I think your, you know, your listeners could learn a, uh, a lot from him. Yeah, construction is definitely a combination of soft and and uh, more traditional hard skills. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, look, I could do it. So uh, I'm not going to throw I'm not going to throw shade on any GCs out there. Um, Michael and Ian, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. I hope I hope uh, it was a good conversation on your end. I'm sure our listeners are going to enjoy it, and. Uh, don't be a stranger, reach out because uh, we're happy to have you on in the future. Okay, great. Thanks for having us, Gordon. Right, really thank you very much. Bye everyone. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please give us a like, a five-star rating or review. 
Your comments and interactions and subscriptions matter for the podcast algorithm, and they help us continue to get guests our viewers want to listen to and learn from. You can follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Gordon Lamphere with The Real Finds Podcast. Thank you for listening.